0: If you have your Bibles, turn to Hosea chapter number 10. Hosea chapter number 10. And we will pick up in verse number 1 here in just a second. So, here we go back to the doom and gloom of Hosea. I'm kind of surprised we have anybody left. I mean, it gets pretty, pretty depressing here going through this book. But you know what? I actually... Actually, when I go through and read the Minor Prophets and I read Ezekiel and Jeremiah, you know what I like about those books? There, there's a lot of doom and gloom, but there's also a lot of hope. And, and through the prophets, you see the heart of God. I mean, here were these people who were in total rebellion against God. And, and I mean, you know, if he didn't care about them, he just would have destroyed them and you never would have read about it in this book. And so you get into books like Hosea, and, and you see God struggling in His own soul with the dilemma of Israel. Just like He just He struggles in His own soul for the dilemma of this of the United States of America and every individual in America that, that's rejected Him. I mean, you just see the heart of God in this. And and I mean, when we get to chapter eleven, you're gonna you know, God's just really gonna lay it out for us. So so. Um, uh, as we look again in chapter 10 he's gonna he's gonna tell them that hey tough times are coming but he's also gonna tell them And here's what i want you to look for in this passage because i think we can get a lot of application out of this he's gonna tell us why they're gonna go through the tough times and what he's planned for them are in these tough times it's just not god striking israel because they're bad he has purposes for them and and i, th- I think that's true and in any situation difficult situation that God places his people in and that's that's a lesson that we're going to learn as we look at this but so pick up with me in chapter uh, 10 and let's look at verse number 1 he says here he says Israel empties his vine and and really you got to read on he brings forth fruit for himself so he's he's picking the vine and who's the, who's who's the what's the picture here Israel picks all the fruit for who for themselves And according to the multitude of the fruit, there hasn't been a change in their attitude or the change of their gratitude towards the Lord. According to the multitude of the fruit, in other words, the Lord says, the more I blessed them, the more they've increased their altars to pagan gods. And and then he goes on to say, according to the bounty of the land, they've embellished the sacred pillars. I think he's talking about the sacred pillars there at, in uh, Samaria there at the temple of the golden calf and so uh, the more they the more money they made the more they spent on themselves and the more they, they spent in their temples of their pagan gods and so you can see the heart of God in this I mean it, God's blessing them and even in this time he's continuing to bless them but they, they're not thankful in their hearts toward the Lord then he says in verse number 2 he says their heart is divided you know, I, I think that's an indictment on a lot of people, even in the church. Their heart is divided, and so now they're held guilty. And so the Lord will break down their altars and he will ruin their sacred pillars. In other words, what Hosea is pointing out right here, speaking on behalf of the Lord, is that at this point in the, the nation's history, they had a form of Yahweh worship they believed in Yahweh God to a certain degree but their hearts were divided and 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 so the way they felt were there were a lot of ways to heaven there were a lot of gods that Yahweh God or Jehovah God wasn't the only god there were other gods that that, that they could benefit from by worshipping those gods that they could benefit by they could benefit and, and maybe get some protection from those gods and some blessings from those gods. And so instead of giving all of their love to Yahweh God or Jehovah God, they they their hearts were divided. And so God says he will break their altars and he will ruin their sacred pillars. You know, I think what God wants from all of us just like he wanted from Israel, was a single-mindedness, a, a heart totally set on the Lord. You know, that's a New Testament principle. You know, God says, come out and be separate. Uh, set your, thing, your mind on things above and not on things below. And so many of us, are, are we have divided hearts. We might not worship other pagan gods, but we, we divide our attention among so many things that that we really don't give the the attention to the Lord that He deserves, and so we're double-minded, as James says, and we're unstable in all our ways. And that's a double-minded man is or a double-minded woman is 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 uh, not what we should be as born-again believers. He says in verse number three: For now they say we have no king, because we did not fear the Lord. And as for a king, what? Would he do for us? I mean, all their kings were terrible. And so the Lord has said, there's a time coming soon where you're not your king. Your king, even though it's a terrible king, is going to be taken away. But it really doesn't matter. Even if you haven't a, had a king, what would he do for you? He'd just lead you into more trouble, into more evil things. And then in verse number four, he says, they have spoken words, swearing falsely in making a covenant. In other words, they talk a lot about doing the right thing. They talk a lot about the Lord and about his covenant, but you can't believe anything they say. Thus, judgment springs up like weeds or hemlock in the pharaohs of the field. In other words, how, how, if you, any of you ever garden? I've tried it a few times. It's a very frustrating thing to do. If you're going to garden, you better be ready to keep that garden. Because it is absolutely amazing how fast the weeds will cover the the good stuff. And uh, if you don't take care of that garden, very soon it's entirely covered in weeds and you don't bear any fruit in your garden. And that's what he's saying right here. And then it, 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 what they were doing, they were not taking care of their garden. They were not taking care of their souls. They were not single-minded toward the Lord. And so they had allowed themselves to become more and more wicked until they were just covered in weeds and wickedness. And then all of a sudden the garden's no good and and the garden's judged and the garden's destroyed and it's plowed up. And that's what God's saying is about to happen to Israel. Then he says in verse number five, he says the inhabitants of Samaria fear because of the calf of Beth of Uh, for its people mourn for it And its priests sh- shriek for it Because its glory has departed from it What he's saying here He's predicting the time When the Assyrians were going to come down And they were going to destroy Their temple to the golden calf There in Samaria And uh, it, Samaria should have been Bethel The house of God And their temple should have been Bethel And so God kind of mocked them He calls it uh, Beth Avon, which means house of nothing. In other words, that house is absolutely worthless. Even though the golden calf was their representation of Yahweh, God says it's a house of nothing. It's absolutely worthless to be. Your entire history from the time that there was this split between Rehoboam and Jeroboam, and, the, and Jeroboam uh, made the golden calf so Israel would stay there and worship. From that time on, it was actually, to God, in God's mind, it was Beth of was It was abs- the house of nothing, absolutely nothing. But when that calf's taken away and and, and they go into captivity, all the people are going to mourn for the calf. They're not going to mourn for the Lord. They're going to mourn for their pagan worship. And all the priests will shriek for it because its glory has departed from it. And he says in verse number six, he says, The idol also shall be carried off off to Assyria as a present to King Jerob. Now, King Jerob more than likely is Sargon II of Assyria, the one who came down and uh, destroyed the nation of Israel. It's just another name for him. Sargon was a title, and King Jerob was probably his name. And it says, Ephraim shall shall receive shame. And Israel should be ashamed of his own counsel. At that particular time, the priest there at the temple where the calf was, and they considered themselves the priest of the Lord, and probably most of them were Levites. They were saying, hey, man, don't worry about things. Don't listen to prophets like Hosea. Don't listen to prophets like Amos. Things aren't as bad as they say they are. Uh, listen to us hey we've got hope and the Lord loves us and we're going to have peace and we're going to have prosperity but then when judgment comes they're going to realize they're going to be ashamed of their own counsel and uh, they're going to receive shame because the very idol that they were worshiping this golden calf is going to be carried off and it's going to become a trinket in the palace of King Jerob some god right that could be defeated and carried off uh, and become a trinket in the, in the palace of a pagan king. That's all their calf was. And that's, what God, that's why God said, Your house, your worship house, is, is not Bethel, the house of the Lord. It's Beth uh, the house of nothing. Then he says in verse number seven, As for Samaria, her king is cut off like a twig on the water. The king's gone. He's speaking of when the judgment comes. Also, the high places of nothing, Aveen, the sin of Israel, shall be destroyed. And in their house, this house of nothing, the thorn and thistle will grow on their altars. They shall say to the mountains, cover us, and to the hills, fall on us. Now, we see that phrase again where? In the New Testament where? In the book of Revelation, during the great tribulation. When the people of the world will say that, and some people say that okay. John quoted that, I just believe they say the same thing. I don't know that necessarily he quoted it, but but uh, for, that he quoted it from Hosea. And I, I don't necessarily believe that because I think that's the, that's the heart of mankind. In other words, what are they saying? They're saying, hey, when this disaster comes and Assyria comes down and there's a famine and there's a, there's a siege laid against the city and people are cannibalizing their own neighbors and their own children and things are going to get so terrible, what should they do at that point? They should call upon the Lord. But they're so proud and so pagan at this point and so agnostic at this point, you could say Towards the true and living God That instead of calling upon the Lord They say look just let the rocks fall on us Let the hills fall on us And that's going to be just how stubborn mankind is During the great tribulation When all of these terrible events are happening Instead of people calling upon the Lord They're going to be saying hey let us just die Let the mountains fall on us Let the hills fall upon us You know I've mentioned this before but But I remember talking to, uh, I forget his first name, but his last name was Price, the guy who had the church next to us when we were over on Kali Saloon. And I was saying, you know, maybe the Lord's going to send revival. And before he sends revival, he's going to send some kind of disaster that will wake people up. And I remember him saying, very distinctly him saying to me, what's it going to take? I mean, if Katrina didn't do that, if that didn't wake the people of Louisiana up And the people of the nation up And cause revival What's it going to take and, and, and then after that we had Rita We've had all sorts of disasters And problems and terrorist attacks And all of that kind of stuff And, and you wonder what is it going to take You know I don't know if it's possible Because I think before people will call upon the Lord They will say let the mountains fall on us Let the hills fall upon us Most people I'm sure there were some people who were saved through Katrina. In fact, I know of some people who were saved through the, that disaster or drew close to the Lord through that disaster. But, but uh, would that necessarily cause a revival? I don't, I don't think so. Then in verse number 9, he says, O Israel, you have sinned from the days of Gibeah. There they stood, the battle of Gibeah against the children of iniquity. And and they didn't get the point is really what he's saying in that last phrase. It did not overtake them. It didn't overtake their souls. They didn't they didn't take it to heart what was happening there. You remember the story. We kind of started it last week when the when the Levite priest uh went to a town of Benjamin and they the men came out and wanted to have relations with him. I'm glad Chad's Chap's children aren't here tonight, but anyway, they wanted to have a relationship with with, with him. And uh, the host of the house said, "No, he's he's a guest in my house. We, you know, we can't do that. But I'll give you my daughters, or I'll we'll give you his concubine." And they took his concubine, and they raped her all night until she was dead, and they threw her on the doorsteps. Well, after that, the priest took the woman, and it just shows how bad off he was spiritually. He took her up and cut her up into pieces and he sent a piece to every tribe in Israel. And the tribes of Israel were furious at how wicked the Benjamites had become. And so they came against them at this battle of Gibeah and they fought this great battle. And if you remember, they pretty much wiped out the, the whole tribe of Benjamin. And the point that he's making right here in that great battle that took place within their own nation they should have gotten the point that, that look what happens. Look at the judgment of God when you become this wicked. And the whole nation now had become this wicked. And so uh, God says, hey, you, you didn't get the point of the battle of Gibeah. You didn't get it at all. And then he says in verse number 10, he says, when it is my desire, then I will chasten them. People shall be gathered against them. When I bind them for their two transge- transgressions, now we don't know exactly what those two transgressions are that he was speaking of, but I can—I I guess you could, from the context of the book, you could figure it out. What was their big sin? The biggest idolatry, idolatry, and they had—they for, had forsaken the Lord, and that's basically if. If you remember in the book of Jeremiah, when Jeremiah lays out the sins of Judah, he, he says, hey, you've got two main sins. You've forsaken uh, the fountain of living waters for broken cisterns, for pagan gods, and uh, uh, for cisterns that couldn't hold water. And he was speaking of idols and materialism. And so their big sin was is that they had turned from God. That's one sin. The other sin was that they had turned to idols. And so God says here that, uh, you know, you, you've, I'm going to chasten you for this. You know, I think God will chasten any of us when we're turning from Him and our focus is on idols. I, just by turning from God, you get chastened. As a believer, you get chastened, you get disciplined when, when your focus is not on the Lord. I love it over in Psalms chapter 81 when the Lord says, I would have given you the finest wheat and fed you the finest honey if only you had focused on me, if only you had your focus on me. If your heart wasn't divided, if it was totally focused on me, I could have blessed you so with so many great things if only you had, you had uh, set your mind on me and not on the things of this earth. And then he says in verse number 11, Ephraim is a trained heifer. That loves to thresh grain. In other words, she just likes being out there doing her own thing. Uh, God had given them great freedom. And they were enjoying that freedom. But they weren't using that freedom to worship God and serve God. They were using that freedom to serve idols and to serve themselves. And so God says, I mean, you you look at a cow and you, you see a cow out in the field. And a cow really enjoys just sitting there Eating grass I mean that's their thing They love it But what happens if you try to harness up a cow Or a bull Or an oxen they don't like that at all And so God says hey You're about to be harnessed He says but I harnessed her neck Her fair neck her uncalloused neck It's about to be calloused I harnessed her her fair neck And I will take Ephraim I will make Ephraim pull a plow now Judah's going to be right behind her. She's going to pull a plow too. They're going to go into captivity and they're going to be, they're going to have a tough life. They're not going to have the freedom they they used to have, the freedom to worship me, the Lord says. They're not going to have that anymore. And I'm going to make things very difficult on them. And Jacob shall break his, his clods. It's going to be a very difficult life at this point. Why is God doing that? To get back at them? No. He's doing that because he loved them. That's why why he was doing that. And now he's going to tell them look, when you're in captivity, let me show you the steps of revival. Let me show you how you can come back to me. And and really, for anybody that's in a tough place that the Lord's placed them in, this is the place of to, to, or this is the, the steps we need to take to get back into a right relationship with the Lord. Listen to what he says in verse number 12. He says, sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap in mercy. Bless, break up your fallow ground. For it is time to seek the Lord. Instead of crying out, may the mountains fall on us or may the hills fall on us. Because uh, we're facing these great difficulties. Instead of doing that, it's time to, to, to break up your fallow ground. It's time to seek the Lord. Till he comes and rains righteousness on you. So the Lord's telling him, "Look, you're about to face some really difficult times, some very the toughest times you've ever faced in your life. And and you can just quit and let the times consume you, or let the difficulties consume you, or you can repent, and instead of sowing to corruption, you could sow to righteousness." And when you sow to righteousness, what do you reap? You reap good things. You'll reap mercy. uh, No matter where you are, the Lord says, you're going to reap mercy. And and allow these trials to break up that fallow ground. When he's talking about the fallow ground, what's he talking about? He's talking about a hard heart. These people were hard hearted and he's saying, hey, don't just quit. Because I placed you in this difficult situation. Let these difficulties break up your hard heart. You know, when God sends you through a trial, you know what he's sending you through that trial for? To test you and to to break up that hard heart. To break up that foul ground. And, and, And to get you to do what? To seek him. And to quit seeking idols, idols can't help us. all the things we have and all the material idols we have in this world they're not going to do us any good when, in a difficult time. And so he brings these difficult times to us so that we'll seek him and that we'll break, our hearts will become tender-hearted and, and we'll reap in mercy instead of bitterness and, and all of the things that come with sowing to wickedness. So it's time to seek the Lord and if you and if in that situation that God's placed you in. Or us in. A very difficult situation. If we allow him to break up and soften our hearts. And and, uh, we seek the Lord. And we keep seeking the Lord. You know what's going to happen? He's going to rain down rain. We all know about rain in Louisiana don't we? That's the kind of rain he's talking about. He's going to rain down. And they really understood what rain was about. Because they lived in an arid climate. And when it rained it really rained. It was something else. It was an unusual event. And here you are, this hard, we're, the, we're these hard-hearted people. And God says, seek me. Let, let this trial break up your hard heart and seek me with all your heart. And, and what am I going to do? I'm going to rain righteousness down on you. Because verse number 13, up until now, you have plowed wickedness. You've sown evil seeds and so you've reaped evil. You've reaped iniquity. You have eaten the fruit of lies because you trusted in your own way. You know what? They were guilty of idolatry. They were guilty of worshiping pagan gods. But why do people worship pagan gods? Because really they worship themselves. And they can control a pagan god. You can't control the Lord. You have to serve the Lord. You have to submit to the Lord. And so he says... You have, he says. Uh, where did I, where did I leave off? You have plowed wickedness. You have reaped iniquity. You have eaten the fruit of lies because you trusted in your own way. You made your own way instead of going the Lord's way, and you trusted in the multitude of your mighty man. You know we're a, we're a nation who trust in the in our multitude of mighty men and women. We trust in politicians. We trust in athletes. We trust in in in, uh, in our culture and movie stars. I mean, we look to we emulate those kind of people instead of emulating the Lord. And those people are wicked people for the most part. Not all of them, but some most of them. And when we emulate those people, we're sowing not to righteousness. We're sowing to wickedness. And so God says, seek me. Seek me and I will rain righteousness down on you. And then he says in verse fourteen, he says, Therefore Tumont shall arise among your people, and all your fortresses shall be plundered, as Shalomazar or Shalman. That's I think he's speaking of Shalomazor there who who plundered uh Israel uh in the eight, around eight hundred BC, and this is happening around seven hundred BC. So a hundred years before that, they had gotten a taste of what was going to happen to them now. And uh, he had plundered Beth Arbel In the day of battle. And it was so bad that a mother. That a mother. Dashed in pieces upon her children. In other words they, they threw the. Dead mother on the children. To kill the children. And so it had gotten that bad. And that's how bad it's going to be again. Therefore it shall be done to you. O Bethel. And Now he calls them the house of God. You've acted as. You, the way you've practiced your religion, you've practiced it uh, at Beth Avon, the place of the house of nothing. But you are still my children, you're still my nation, and your house should be Beth El, the house of God. Because of your great wickedness, at dawn the king shall be cut off utterly. You're about to be taken into captivity. But, after this disaster comes, after I send you into captivity, the Lord is saying, I'm not done with you. Embrace those troubled times. Allow those troubled times to break up that hard heart. And then seek me, the Lord was telling them. And if you seek me with all your heart, wherever you're at, wherever you get sent when you're scattered throughout the land, wherever you're at, I will rain down righteousness upon you. Where do we get that righteousness? We get from the Holy Spirit. His Spirit is righteousness and truth. And that's what the Lord is saying here. I will rain down the Holy Spirit on you. That's 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 really the formula for revival. First, you got to be put in a place where you, you know, you you got a choice. You either say, "May the mountains fall upon me, the hills fall upon me, I'm done, I don't want to live anymore," or you turn to the Lord and you embrace that trial and allow Him to do His work in you. Great formula for revival and being great to see one happen here in the united states of america and really in in every in all of our lives too we all need revival let's go to the lord prayer father we just thank you for your goodness to us we thank you for your word and and uh we thank you for your heart lord the fact that you're so merciful to us you were merciful with israel in these days you allowed this to go on for a long time before you sent destruction upon them lord we don't deserve your mercy. We're all guilty of having way too many idols in our life, Lord, of having divided hearts. So, Lord, before those disasters come, help us to, to embrace the trials of life and help us to break up that, our fallowed hearts, Lord, and to, to seek you with all our hearts, and with all our minds and with all our souls. And, Lord, we just, we just long for the day when you rain righteousness down upon us, when we're filled with the Holy Spirit in a way beyond anything we've ever experienced. It's a process, Lord, we thank you for being so merciful and so loving to us and allowing us to be your children. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, in his name I pray, amen.